You're listening to the Even Odds Podcast on the Constructed Criticism Network. Here are your hosts, Mason and Trey, and thank you for rolling with us. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 15th episode of the Even Odds Podcast. I'm Mason, your barbecue host, and I'm joined by Cornbread Trey. Why do I have to be the starch ones? I don't know, man. You had cornbread <laughs> the food. We just I, ate lunch, and I was like, oh, that's a rat. Look, I'm friendly and supportive of our keto listeners. Wow. Okay. <laughs> I didn't realize it was a thing where we weren't where we are. I guess I'm not. That's cool. Well, uh, <laughs> yeah, we, we're at, at odds with each other on the uh, on the keto portion of this. I can agree with that. <laughs> so we have a pretty exciting episode today. We're going to talk about decision paralysis and FOMO. But before that, we have to get a word from our sponsor. And we have a new sponsor today. Ooh, exciting. I know. But don't worry. The omnipresent and ever-oppressive uh, Goblin Char Bargains is here with us in our hearts. But uh, today we have something new. Hello, fellow Magic competitor. Are you frustrated that the world has been suddenly tapped by an unwanted icy manipulator? Shake off those winter woes with an exciting getaway from Wayfinder Travel Agency. Wayfinder Travel Agency is excited to offer you a once-in-a-lifetime excursion, the Adaptable Biogenic Ooze Cruise. It's a boat filled with mysterious shape-shifting oozes that can mimic all of your favorite celebrities and fictional characters. So take the trip of your dreams with the Adaptable Biogenic Ooze Cruise today. Warning, some risks and restrictions apply. There is a non-zero chance that the ever-multiplying mysterious oozes may sink the ship. I'm really glad to have them as a sponsor. You know, my dad and my stepmom went on a Rakdos party last year from the same people, and they said they had a great time. So it's good to have, you know, things that we've used in our life come back to the show, and it's it's a dream, really. Yeah, the Wayfarer Travel Agency, man. They really put a good package together. They really do. Well, before we hop right into the main topic, we did want to kind of talk about the new standard format, um, because we know that it's the first week or so of standard, and there's the SCG coming up and RV coming up in two weeks, so we thought... We spent a couple minutes talking about that before we hop into FOMO and uh, decision paralysis. So, Trey, what are you looking at for Standard, and where have you been? Yeah, so uh, the deck that I've been playing the most of right now is a Bant Tempo deck. Um, it was something that I was excited about just when we were deck and deck building like prior to being able to play any games. And in playing games, it's something that has really like performed better than I expected it to. And I'm really excited about it, but it's playing like a you know, Crab Guy, Incubation Druid, I don't know what Crab Guy's called. I'm going to call it. Uh, growth, chamber, Go- growth Chamber Guardian. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Growth Chamber Guardian, a.k.a. Crab Guy. <laughs> crab Guy, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Biogenic Ooze, which is awesome. Like, Biogenic Ooze continues to just take over games all the time. What do you think about the comparison of that card to the Scarab God? Because that's what John Stern, well, maybe it was Seth Manfield on Constructed Criticism, but one of them compared it to the Scarab God, and I think they're right. Yeah, I think so. Like, you know, in, in the standard with Scarab God, right, like, it was like, you play it, and it's like putting your opponent in check in chess. It's like, do something or die right now. Um, and it definitely plays out that way. It even plays out that way against, like, Mono Red. Like, what you would think, like, this is too slow and too dirtily to do anything against it. Nope. It's fine. Just play Ooze. And it outclasses all of their stuff immediately and just takes over the board. Also, it's fun, and as in comparison to the uh, Scarab God, because it's not legendary. So you can just play Ooze, and if they don't have stuff, just play another Ooze, and your stuff gets out of control really, really quickly. And, like, no other deck can go wider than you or bigger than you, like, once you start doing that. Yeah, I almost wonder if maybe we should look into, like, Arghuls because of Ooze. Like, the flip side, one of the downsides of Arghuls nowadays is nothing you can really abuse. 
when you're hearing, when I'm hearing talk about playing multiples, I'm like, oh yeah, that'd be really good, just like the scare of God was at times. Or like you would attack in, sack the game five, you're gonna get it back, but you play another untapped copy. Right. And some like when you're like racing against Monterey, for example. So I I think that could be interesting. I hadn't actually thought about that uh, specific thing until just now. So that's something I'm kind of interested in trying. Yeah, yeah, but that that deck has been really great. Been having a lot of fun. It also creates the great tension, you know, with Frilled Mystic. Like you have ooze in play, you have Frilled Mystic in hand. You can just pass the turn with mana up, and if they play something you need to counter, you counter it, and if not, you make a news. And, and it has played out that way very effectively. Yep, and then late game, I mean, it just becomes a mana sink, so right. I just think it's pretty cool. I and mean, that's the only thing you've been really trying out? Uh, so I've been playing that, um, and then I have also been playing um, a, a deck that you're playing a lot more than I am, which is Gates Control. So why don't you talk about Gates Control? Sure, so... <laughs> It's funny, I call it Gates Control because it does kind of play out like a control deck, but it's really a ramp deck at heart. Right. Um, so it's it plays almost all the Gate Synergy Matter cards. So you're a base teamer deck splashing white for the Archway Angel, which somehow I know its name. It is the 6 mana 3-4, what a steal. And then you gain 2 life for each gate you control, which it has kind of been like the solution to Mono Red, I found, which is weird to say that like this thing that just gains life, but normally it plus Crassus gain you enough life that you're able to stabilize against them. And then you also have Gateway... It's not Gateway Plaza. It's a Harmony Plaza, I believe. It's oh, the, the one that when you play it, you gain three life if you have two other gates. Yes, and it's a reflecting pool for gates. Right. And so that, that card actually has been super helpful, too. I find that I, I stabilize a lot at, like, four or five against these decks before I play an Angel, and that gives me enough time to play an Angel. Or play, like, a Crassus, or uh, some of the other Gate Matter cards, which I think they all together work really well. The other card that really matter for the Gate Matters deck is Gates Ablaze, which is two and a red and does one damage per gate you control. To all creatures. To all creatures, sorry, yes. So that card is a great board clear. Um, it basically, in the early turns, it plays out like uh, Fiery Cannade, I believe is the deal two to everything mm-hmm. at instant speed. And this is a sorcery, which makes it slightly worse. But it scales much better in the later game. I've, you know, I'm able to kill wild growth walkers and things like that when I'm spinning turns like Security Shrooting, which is the explosive veg that grabs gates. And so able to do that and then you play there's a lot of big threats to take over the game i have a couple gate colossus in my deck which they're very cheap to play that's the 8-8 that costs one less per gate you control and then if you play a gate you can put it from your graveyard on top i think i was maybe it was you or i've been ellison but i was talking to someone and i played against the bolus deck and i was like oh this is gonna be miserable they make me discard all my cards and like i don't get a security room i'm probably just gonna lose to a bolus and i was able to actually trade enough with them with things like lava coin on my deck and we we're getting kind of late and i just started slamming gate colossus against them and they didn't have Rastic Contempt at the time. So, like, because they couldn't draw a Rastic Contempt quick enough, they are like, cast downing it. And it's like, all right, I mean, every other turn I'm just going to play another 8-8 that's cheaper. And if I draw a Hydroid Crassus in that time, I'm going to draw them again and really tempo you out. So, uh, the deck does that, and then it plays Guild Summit, which was kind of a really fun card in Ravnica... No, Guild's a Ravnica draft. It's the three-blown enchantment that when you play a gate, you draw a card, and when it enters the battlefield, you can tap any number of gates you control to draw a card per gate. And that was kind of your draw engine. And the deck really does play super weird, but it's very consistent. And we've been working on it and found ways to beat some of its problems. It's curious to me if the deck's actually good enough. Because I think it's really close. If it it isn't good enough, it's so close that I I feel like at least I did my due diligence and I had a lot of fun playing the deck. But it's to the point where it's like, I know red-black is good. I've played a lot. That's the other deck I've played a lot of. I've played a lot of red-black, and I'm sure red-black and the red-black cards are good. But I'm going into the RPTQ... And I think a lot of people are going to be working on red-black. I don't know how many people are going to really work on the gate deck until that's a big showing. So it's almost like maybe I need to work on gates more because no one else is going to put in that work, really. And then I need to maybe even play it at the SCG to be like, 
I gotta see it. Like, if leading into the SCG, I still think it's good, I might just end up playing just to be like, I need to get this stomped out of my system and be like, hey, like, this deck wasn't good enough, you know, it was a pipe dream or whatever, and you're just outplaying opponents on Arena or getting lucky against misspelled decks, right? Or I need to know if it's the truth going to the RPTQ. Because this deck is very good against mid-range decks. Mm -hmm. And after board, you're very good. You're good enough against control decks. And the aggro decks, well, like I said, you have enough incidental life gain that you can beat them pretty easily. Assuming you can make it to about turn six. So it's one of those things where I just feel like it's probably there. Right. It's one of the things that's really surprised me and has been weird about the deck is how good of a draw engine Guild Summit is. Yeah. I actually, You almost have to cut one, I feel right. like. Because you just draw too many cards. Yeah, you'll get into a point between Guild Summit and Krasis where, like, you can't, like, you're like, I'm going to deck. I don't know. <laughs> you're drawing so many cards. Yeah. Especially if you have them in multiples where every gate's drawing two cards. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, it, it gets to be very serious very quickly on card advantage. It really does. And the deck does have, like, it does have the potential to, like, kind of nut draw your opponent, for lack of a better word. Right, where, like, you can go Grove Spiral under Guild Summit to draw, to play a gate, draw a card, play a security group, draw two more, and then like play another lane. It's like, all right, next time I'm going to probably have eight mana available to me. That's a lot of mana for turn five. Right. Like, and I've drawn a lot of cards. So it's not even like I've ramped, now I hope to draw a payoff. It's like, well, I've ramped and replaced every card, or in some cases, actually drawn extra cards in the cases of Curious Root. So, um, it might just end up being a pipe dream, but it's strong enough, and I almost hit Mythic with it last night, which is weird because I feel like it's a deck that gets better post board at times when I'm able to configure things in, in certain matchups. But I'm basically just kind of like in the mono red testing room, <laughs> and I I almost hit Mythic just playing as only mono red. I'm like, well, that's really good, and I feel like I have too many card advantage cards. So it's like, if I tweak this, could this be a thing? And so, yeah, I, I'm excited to play it, and I think it's a cool deck too. So that's helpful. It's cool. It's cool when it's like, oh, something might be really good, and it's spicy. <laughs> and it's fun. Yeah. So and so that hits on a thing. I mean, you know, we've kind of talked about it in talking about these two decks, right? But like, mono red is very good. So it's another thing that, like, if you're looking for decks or whatever, like, Mono Red is very good. Did get clear upgrades with another Lightning Bolt and a one-mana Divination and light up the stage. Um, the deck is very real, and the red-black decks are also very real. Um, like, I know when we were testing with it, we had some games where it was like, I was way ahead on board. Everything seemed like you couldn't possibly win, and I was at 15, and I'm like, everything's great. And then you made an attack, and I had to, like, make perfect blocks or just die. From from that far behind, like the deck is very serious, also, and so that those are those are two decks that are very strong. But like you said, that's also things that a lot of people are working on right now and trying to get those fine tuned. Yeah, pe people have figured out like it's funny. Like Judith was a card I was really high on, and I, as more people start playing with the sets and playing with the cards, like oh, Judith is that good, mm -hmm. and so it's almost like well, maybe I don't need to be the one to be putting work in on this. Like maybe other people do it for me, and then I'll have the week leading up to the RPTQ to really kind of hone things out. I'm not 100 percent sure there, but. I think that's a good way to kind of get into our topics. Do you want to get into this? Yeah, so, you know, this really does touch on a big thing because, you know, we're talking about there's all these things and all these different choices that you have to make when you're thinking about, like, what it is you're going to do with magic. And so that gets us to talking about our main topic, which is dis decision paralysis. Mason, tell everyone, what is decision paralysis? There's so many ways to go with this. I just can't make a choice. We'll take the time. You know, <laughs> um, while we're doing it, I'm going to uh, try to find some songs to play, entertain mm -hmm. everyone at home. Uh, they're probably going to be old and no one will like them. Seven Rings by Ariana Grande on repeat. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, jokes aside, so decision paralysis is a thing that comes up a lot in life, but it also reflects a lot in magic. And decision paralysis basically is when you are presented with multiple choices and you are overloaded by those choices and you can't make a decision. So I can give you an example. Let's say you go and you go to a restaurant and there are so many things that are so good to eat. And you're like, I just don't know what to pick. That's a small, non-harmful non -harm, non example of decision paralysis, right? 
you can't figure out what you want to eat, there are so many good things. And this happens in magic all the time. So in magic, one thing that happens is you'll be in a game and there'll be a lot of choices. You'll have a lot of attacks and blocks in a complicated board state. And you'll be like, how do I figure out what to do? There are so many things that can go wrong. There's so many moves I can make. And that's really when you get to these stall moments where you have to almost call a judge and be like, judge, like we need to move the game forward type thing. So decision paralysis manifests itself in life and in magic. And so, Trey, can you think of some examples of decision paralysis with you that we might be able to help listeners with who maybe aren't getting the gist of it? Yeah, I mean, you know, you get into these you get into these situations where you've got to try to like decide, you know, with magic specifically, it's like sequencing, mm-hmm. right? Like I have to choose. I know that I need to play these spells in this turn, but it's like I, I don't know what order it is that you want to play them. And then you start thinking about like what the consequences of doing those various things are. And before you know, you're overloaded with that information. And you don't know which way to go with what it is that's going on. Especially when you start thinking about what's the optimal way, right? right. It's like, well, I know that I can play these cards, but what's the most efficient way to do it? And, and so that's something that, that has come up a lot. You know, another example that I can think of is when it comes to deck selection. I mean, I don't know how many times that we have gotten messages like the night before a tournament from from friends of ours or our playtesting partners and things like that. And they say, this tournament is tomorrow. I don't know what I should play. What should I play? Just tell me. Like, just tell me. Like, the, the decision paralysis has gotten so extreme to the point that they can't make a decision with it at all. They don't even want to make a decision. And that also happens in personal life, too, where, like, you know, uh, uh, there's a, the meme, right, that, like, being married is just trying to decide where you want to go to dinner until you die. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Like, that's the that's the joke with it. That's an old person meme because I never heard that one. Yeah. I like yeah. that. I learned something new today. There you go. But, but that happens where it's, like, you'll get into a situation like that where you're having a discussion with somebody about, like, okay, what do you want to eat? And everyone's going back and forth and him and hawing about it, and you can't get to a decision point. And sometimes it'll get to a point where someone just has to say, what I want is to not decide. Like, I would like to not have to make the choice because having to make the choice is too much pressure overall. Yeah, we see this in life a lot, too, right? Where you get overwhelmed by, like, all these things you have to do earlier in your day. And you actually, and a good example of this in marketing is the checkout line at, like, a place like Kroger, right? The reason they put those cheap little things at the end of sugar and the treats is because you've every time you walk through a store, you're making a thousand decisions. Even if you're not realizing it, you're basically saying, no, 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 yes, no, 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 yes. And then every time you stop and really think, you're thinking about it as well. And you get to the end of the your end of your trip, right? And you're kind of mentally, you're fatigued from saying no so much. And you see these things, you're like, I like Tic Tacs. Yeah, I'll have a Tic Tac, right? And that's why Tic Tacs don't have their own aisle, even though they're a major candy company, right? They don't want to be in an aisle. They want to be at the end of it. So that's another example of decision paralysis just in life here. And I think that can also be a good segue back into magic here, is this happens all the time. So think about this. You're, we can use our example, right? We're going into the first major standard event, and then we're going into, honestly, the second biggest standard event. Uh, we're doing them back-to-back, right? Like RPTQs, I think, I don't think they're standard the next weekend. So RPTQs are the biggest standard thing going on. And so when we're going to the first event, we have all this information. I mean, look at it right now. Like, we're recording this on the Sunday before the, the week of the SCG. And it's like, okay, decks that are viable are, we can play every deck from the old standard format because they're tuned. We can play uh, the new mono red. We can play old mono red if we don't think the lab to stage is good enough. We can play Abzan. We can play any variation of green block that splashes color, Abzan or Bug. We can play the gate deck we're talking about. We can play traditional ramp that Spencer uh, gave to Seth and Seth's stream. We can play the, the aristocrat decks. Those decks are powerful, and there are a bunch of them. We can play Black White. We can play Mardu. We can play Black Red. We can play Prime Speaker Vanifair. We can play. Yeah, we can play Vanifair. And I'm telling you all those decks, and that's half the decks. There are a bunch of other decks we can talk about. Yeah, it's stressful just hearing the list. Yeah. Like, just when you put them all out there in one time. Mm -hmm. Right? And and you start thinking about it, too. Like, uh, Frank Karsten just had an article on Channel Fireball 
talking about the number of possible 60-card decks that you could have in Standard right now. Like, just mathematical iterations, and it is more than the number of atoms in the universe. Yeah, and that was before the new set dropped. Yes. That was back in the fall. Yes. So, yeah, and obviously, right, luckily in Magic, they print a lot of cards that aren't good enough, so we don't have to deal <laughs> with that. But, still, like, l- let's take the micro-subcosms, like, of this, right? So, l- like, let's say you're like, okay, Judith is my queen, I stand for her. I'm going to play a Judith deck. It's like, okay, what Judith deck are you going to play? Are you going to play the Aristocrats deck? Or are you going to play a Black Red Aggressive deck? It's like, I'm going to play an Aggressive deck. Okay, do you want to be more mid-rangey? Or do you want to be more lane to the ground? I want to be more lower to the ground. Okay, do you want to be mono-red? Do you want to be mono-black? Or, I'm sorry, pre- uh, predominantly mono-black, predominantly mono-red, or a mixture? I just want to play a Judith deck. It's like, well, you have to make all these choices. Right. And this is why net decking is so popular, right? And I'm not trying to... I net deck all the time, right? I do it way more than I do building my own decks. Not only because it's easier because like people work on the decks and they get better from doing this. But that's part of the thing, why why people just pick up a deck they've seen online. They feel like they're not good enough, right? That's that's part of it. And also that like there are too many choices and I trust Jerry. And if Jerry says Mardu Humans is the best deck, right? Not Aristocrats, I'm gonna play that deck. And that's that's a moment of decision paralysis coming into play. There's an inverse part of it too. You take the cost away. If if you trusted someone else to do it, you let someone else do the decision, then if the decision is wrong, then you also have a place to defer the blame. You have a John ready. Yeah, exactly. So you have you have an out that then allows you to, to, to be able to be like, well, I, you know, next time I'll make the decision myself. This time I, I trusted somebody else or I let them make the decision for me and, and I, I got betrayed by it. And that seems like a thing that you wouldn't want to do or anything else, but it, it's an easy way to try to get out of decision paralysis in the short term. If you put the decision on someone else, then it... it removes the consequences in a lot of ways, like psychologically. Yeah, (coughs) excuse me, definitely. Like, let's take this route. Like, let's take our real life, for example, right? Like, let's say you were too busy doing work and stuff, and you're like, Mason, I know that you've been putting a lot of work in this gate deck. Give me the gate deck, right? Even though you have some fears of it yourself, right, that you have some things that you think can be worked on, et cetera, and some holes that need to get solved, you are then trusting me to do this, right? And then at the end of it, you have so many ways to get out of it. You're like, I had a really busy work week. I had to raise a lot of money for the movie. I had a friend's party. I couldn't really play. I didn't have all the cards in the arena. Mason did. And, you know, and that has ramifications on it. And that's just another way to get out of decision paralysis. So decision paralysis happens a lot in deck building and a lot in gameplay, too. And I think it's understated how often people just defer to not doing plays and realizing they're not making decisions. And what I mean by that is, let's say the board stalled and limited. And I have five creatures and you have five creatures. And you look at the board state, and you're like, can't attack, go. Right? You, you've made a decision right there, right? But you kind of almost paralyze yourself by not thinking through all the options. Because all the options are daunting. Because if you think about how complicated magic is, if I have five creatures and you have five creatures, each one of my creatures can attack, each one of my creatures can stay back and block, and then a mixture of them. Those are all possibilities. And then you can consider all the blocks. Now, normally, blocks in these things are very easy, right? If I have a 2-2, you have a 3-3, and I have a mana up, I'll block there, right? But it can get harder and more complicated, and that can lead to the boards just stalling. When in reality, it's like, no, you need to attack with your 5-5 into the 3-2 and the 3-3 and, uh, and get a trade there so that next turn you can start attacking again. But when you sit back here, that's not going to work out for you in the long run, right? And things like that happen in Magic all the time. So, Mason, we've talked a lot about, like, kind of what decision paralysis is. Mm-hmm. And we've talked about some ways that people avoid it. But, like, what factors are people considering? Like, what are the pressures that weigh on people in looking at this to create the paralysis in the first place. 
So some of the like the factors that cause them to just like break down, and not make decisions. Right. Exactly. Like like what is it that leads to a decision paralysis? Like in a, like we've been talking about kind of in a general sense, like what it is. Mm-hmm. But like there's specific psychological things, right? That can like that create these doubts in us that make us like not be able to make that decision. Like what are some of those factors that would weigh in on that? So one of the factors might be fear of missing out, right? Uh, FOMO is what we called it earlier, right? So fear of missing out is a thing that happens in society all the time. And it's happened before technology, but it's been bring, been brought back up more recently because technology brings us more into it. And we'll get more into that here in a second. But another thing that really happens is the fear of being wrong and losing. So this happens a lot, I think, at um, the PPDQ level. It happened a lot with me. So I know that that was something that I experienced, especially before I really started trying to play Magic. And I would just go to pbdqs and play in them right and do fine but never do well or anything like that is that if you make the wrong mistake you're going to lose and your tournament's over and or you ruined your chance and then get to the rpdq for example right rest in peace you make these decisions and it becomes this thing where like you're afraid of doing the wrong thing which kind of ties back into fear of missing out but you're afraid that you're going to fail at this or that you're going to lose and you have this almost personality and confidence tied to succeeding in magic it's like, I'm a good card game player. I should do good at magic. And that's where these decisions can happen. Are there any examples that you have maybe of this that you're thinking about? So those are the main ones that I thought of. Right. Well, so that kind of pressure that you're talking about, what you can end up with is that like there are tons of times, all of us have played a lot of magic. There are tons, tons of times in magic where you have to make that decision that is a risky decision in some way. And you're making a measured risk decision that that if i do this and they do that and then i draw this thing in this order or whatever then more likely than not i'm going to win the game and you can make that decision and and can get you to those slim outs that you have but the fear of making the wrong decision or that that fear of missing out in that regard like what you're talking about will cause you to to potentially not make those decisions because you're like okay you're not thinking about it this is too risky i can't do that because if it doesn't go that way then i've i've can't come back from this because i did it the wrong way and so instead you don't do anything or you don't make any decision at all, and then it failure to make that decision at all is also then making a choice that you then pay the consequences for. But like it can make you that risk adverse in that way of like not being able to go towards the things that you need to do. That is a risk. There are is a risk there, but it's not a, as big as it seems in the moment because you're so concerned with messing it up and putting that pressure on yourself. Yeah, you're you're blowing things out of proportion almost, right? I guess it's actually you just are blowing things out of proportion is the way to say that. So that is one thing. Should we just should I talk about FOMO more? Because I think we're kind of getting to that point. Sure. So FOMO is, like I said a second ago, the fear of missing out. And this happens a lot in society these days. And you hear about it, and it's a very big buzzword. And you see it on NBC Nightly News, and your doctor talks to you about it, right? And all these articles, you know, Miranda Kay talks about, you know, if it brings you joy, all these good things. But FOMO um, is if you're ever out somewhere and you feel like you're missing something. I heard an example given to me by a doctor that was you're at home. And you're like in your pajamas and you're about to sit down. And you're going to watch Arrested Development. And you've been so excited to watch the new season. And your friend sends you a text message. And you pick up the phone. And you look and it's a video. And you click the play button. And it's all your friends out of the bar saying, come hang out with us. You know, it's like a bar video. It doesn't even have to be come hang out with us. You feel like you're missing out on an occasion. You're missing out on something. That's a very basic example of FOMO. And this happened before the internet. And it was a thing that happened with people. But it wasn't as pronounced because we weren't aware of what other people were doing all the time. You know, you're old, so you remember it was like before phones, where <laughs> it was like, I don't know what Mason's doing right now. He's probably reading a book or something, right? And in reality, I'm out here partying, right? And so you had this fear of missing out, and it actually causes more anxiety and more stress when you're always afraid that you're going to be missing something. And so you want to have this constant update on social media, right? Where you feel like you have to have this constant 
almost representation of yourself. And that's what they talk about FOMO outside of magic. That's like a very, I'm giving you the very much like the TLDR, explain like I'm five version. But in magic, this happens all the time. Where you have this fear that you're going to not play the best deck. And I see this happen with friends. I think this happened with my friend Tommy a lot. Where Tommy is afraid that he like that he won't be playing the best deck for an event. Right? And it's like, I really like Infect, but maybe Infect isn't the best. Well, if you let this like decision, like that you might not even be playing the best deck, stop you from going for, further and exploring that option. Kind of like me with Gates, right? Where it's like, I have a feeling that Gate might be a real deck. But if I'm afraid that I'm just going too deep and I have red-black right there and that's the best deck, and I let that stop me, and I don't go further and test the gate deck, then FOMO has stopped me from exploring other options. It isn't that FOMO, fear of missing out, I should probably say that more often, fear of missing out is like inherently a terrible thing. It is a terrible thing when it stops you, right? And you don't go further either way. Because I think it's totally normal and reasonable to be afraid that like, I'm going to pick the wrong deck, right? And have a decision point. But the problem is, is when it stops you from moving forward in life. And it stops you from making actual decisions. And that's when it gets bad. So the idea of missing something, I don't think is inherently bad. It's when it takes on this almost evolved form. Right. And another way to say this, same kind of concept, is opportunity cost. Yes. Right? That, that was a kind of a, an old old buzzword for this same kind of thing, right? Is that every choice you make, you, you pay an opportunity cost towards another choice you could have made. Um and psychologically, uh, as people, we are much more concerned about losing out on a thing that we have versus a possible gain that we can get. And this is something that people use as sale tactics. This is things that people use in pressure situations. Uh, it's a thing that I used a considerable amount when I was an attorney uh, when trying to help people reach a settlement agreement, right? It's like, okay, you have this thing, and this is a thing that you can have and ensure that you have it. And if you go forward with this other decision, you will lose this thing that you have. But you could gain double it you know you could you could win the tournament you know this, this deck that you have you might top 16 a tournament right or you might top 32 a tournament or whatever but this deck might win the tournament okay mm -hmm. but if you play this deck to win the tournament you lose the opportunity that you have with the other deck that you feel like is going to be a pretty good chance of this other thing and that possible gain psychologically people are less likely to take the risk in that situation towards the possible gain versus losing out on the one that they feel like they have certainty and that that Opportunity cost of losing the thing that you have versus the gain, getting the thing that you could possibly gain is a really strong feeling. And it's something that you have to work very hard at, like trying to be objective about because your, your natural tendency or your natural, the natural pressures are in the other direction. So it's a thing that happens a lot and you see it, especially with newer players in combat, right? Like Mason was talking about, uh, you know, complicated board states. And so you get a lot of creatures on board and everything else and you can have, uh, where your opponent is far ahead, right? They have so many more creatures than you do, and then you play one creature that's bigger than all of their creatures, and they just stop attacking. They don't do it at all, because now they're like, well, if I attack, I'll lose something. And it's like, well, yeah, but the game that you'll have is you'll win the game, because I can't block all of your dudes, and if you just do that for like two turns, I'm going to lose, and I can't keep up. But they're like, yeah, but I'll lose one of my creatures. And like that pressure of having lost something that they have just shuts them down, and then they stop attacking, and then you lose the game. And that's something that I see happen over and over and over again uh, with people, especially in, in combat specifically. Yeah, that's definitely a big one. And then I think there's one that's tangentially related to magic, and that's wild cards when it comes to FOMO. And you're talking about MTG Arena. MTG Arena, yes. So MTG Arena, if you haven't played yet, don't know what you're doing, but that's fine. Life's busy. Uh, you have these wild cards, which you can turn into a mythic, a rare, an uncommon, or a common. 
And the, the real strain is on mythics and rares, right? Because you have so many in a deck, and you only have like four of a card. Uh, so it's hard to build a whole deck. And I think this happened, um, I've seen examples with it on Twitter recently, where people are afraid, to because you only have so many wild cards, especially if you're trying to free to play it, right? Where you're trying to spend as least money as possible. It's like, I'm afraid to craft this deck. I really think I'm going to enjoy and I really want to play, because what if it's bad? I think um, Spencer kind of gave an example of this on Twitter without even realizing it, where he was like, I'm... Uh, I'm going to craft this teamer deck. The tweet was basically like, I'm going to craft this teamer deck. I'm afraid it's going to be bad. Right? And I wish that they had the Hearthstone system of dusting. Because if it was bad, I at least got something back. And that's a great thing about Hearthstone, right? Is if you have a card, you can sell it back in for a fourth of the cost. And in Arena, that ain't it. Can't do it. So you had that fear of missing out in that example as well. And so I think that's just another type of way to look at it and give you uh, give people an example about what we're talking about with this. So Trey, what are some ways that we can work on decision paralysis and FOMO? And let's start with decision paralysis and if they work in, they work in. Well, yeah. And so I want to start with the example that you just gave, okay. right? So it, it's part of it is like, it's re-identifying what the consequences of the actions are it, and having to recontextualize what the choices are. Because the first thing they look at is like, oh, I'm making this thing and I, and I hope it's not bad because now I have this loss. But if you contextualize that same choice, it's like, well, I'm going to take this chance and it could give me like joy. Right. Like this deck could be a lot of fun. I could really like it. It could be really good and focusing on the upside of it. And then the, the resource that you lost is is not that significant or anything else. And like but you create a negative inference for it from the very beginning. Then you are already looking at the decision as, as a negative decision and a bad decision from the start. But if you recontextualize the way you approach what the consequences are, then it doesn't feel as significant of a choice when you're having to make it. I agree with that. And I think uh, just to end on this example here. I had FOMO with the new set. I bought $300 with the gems to get all the cards so that I could play test whatever I wanted for the SCG, the RPDQ, and the GP, right? Because I'm playing three big events. And so it's like I spent a lot of money to make sure I could play whatever I thought was best. And that's an example of it kind of getting the better of me, where it's like instead of spending just a little bit and getting where I need, it's like, no, I want to make sure I can do anything I want. And that's another example of it coming over top of you. So, but what's an, can you think of a way to help people in that decision you just gave? Like like an example to work through it, almost? Yeah. You know, with that specifically, like I said, I think it's about people always think about what the consequence is in the worst scenario. That's kind of what I was trying to say, right? Like, mm -hmm. they think about what the worst possibility is. They think about the, what the worst outcome is. But they don't think about the other outcomes, right? They don't think about what the positive outcomes could be. And I know that sounds kind of like, uh, you know, hippie, new agey or whatever. Like, I don't know. But, like, it really is. Like, if you focus only on what the negative outcomes are and not what the positive outcomes could be of the decision, then all of it always feels bad. Like, it seems like you don't have good choices and it seems like you don't have good options, even though the choice that you're making is a positive one, you know, potentially. Mm -hmm. But the other part of it is, too, is like recontextualizing what the worst case scenarios are, right? Like, you look at the worst case scenario and it's like, okay, well, I'm going to lose these gems. And it's like, well, yeah, but you also got the cards and those cards might have another value. Like, they might have use in another deck. You might be able to put them somewhere else. You might need them for the next set that comes out, right? Like, there's something else. There's something else that's positive there that you can find as far as like recontextualizing what seems like the worst case scenario. Yeah, I think one thing that happens, especially, um, I, I just want to be blunt here. Magic is an expensive hobby, and it's a luxury hobby. The worst thing that happens is if you oh, if you build the wrong deck, is you have the not the most optimal deck to play in Magic the Gathering. It's not the end of the world, right? It can feel that way. Trust me. I am more invested in Magic than, I'm just going to say it, probably all, almost all of our listeners, 99% of them, right? I don't believe there are many more than you that are. 
I help make a podcast. I spend multiple hours a week editing a podcast. I play magic constantly. I think about magic constantly. I like I do magic stuff all the time, right? It is a huge part of my life, and it is not understatement. I'm not trying to you know say like look at me or anything like that. I'm just saying, even with that in mind, the worst thing that happens. Let's say I didn't spend all the money to get that or all the cards, right? It's like I built a bad deck that sucks. Let's move on. Right. And same thing with the in a game of magic, right? It's like, I had all these choices available. I mean, this happens a lot when you're playing like human versus spirits with combat decision. This happens a combat, I think, is the biggest thing in magic. It also happens with counter spells too, right? It's like, well, I made a choice. It's something I can learn from. And now I can move on and have this experience and learn from this experience, right? The worst case scenario is you lost a game of magic. I think you talked about this on the podcast two episodes ago, but your friend Turk gave you that advice, right? Instead of some of the most helpful magic advice ever is, the worst thing that happens is you went out and played magic with your friends. The end. Right. Well, and, and absolutely true. Absolutely true. The other part of it, back on the on the like deck example, right? Like, I'm going to use an example outside of magic and then relate it to what I mean in this exact situation. It happens all the time when I see people that are dating. And people who are dating, they go and they see somebody and they're interested in them. And they don't go talk to them. And it's like, why don't you go talk to them? That's like, well, because they might reject me. Okay, and they're like, I don't want to be rejected, so I'm not going to go talk to them. But it's like, well, the worst case scenario that happens if you go and talk to them is not a loss. The worst case that happens if you go and talk to them is it maintains a status quo. Like you presently don't know that person, and if you go and talk to them and they reject you, then you still don't know them. And so that's the only thing that you lost is nothing. You have nothing. You lost nothing, and that's what the baseline of it is. But what's right? the upside, try? But the upside is, is that you could change your entire life. It could be the love of your life. Exactly. That's right. Like yeah. So the upside is, is infinite, and the downside is you lost nothing. Yeah, I would right. say the only downside is maybe they laugh. That, like That's the worst thing I could think of. Sure. Right? It's like I walk up to a pretty lady, I say something, and she laughs. I'm like, cool, 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 and I walk away. Right. right? Like, right. That's, like, the, that's the worst thing I think. But, but yes. looking at it still, like yeah. you don't... Even you, in that scenario. You still don't know her. You didn't yeah. know her before. You know? Fine. With magic... Like, let's say you have this mono red deck, and you've been playing this mono red deck, and you want to see whether or not this ramp deck is real. And it's like, well, if I spend time on this ramp deck, and it's not good, I've wasted these resources, and I've done all of these things, and then I, I was wrong, and I've spent all... And it's like, no, the worst case scenario is, you can just still play the mono red deck. You lost nothing other than you now have more information about what you were going to do. You have more information about the format. You have more information about what the choices are that are available to you. And then the worst case is you can still just play the deck that you were already playing. Like yeah. You can still go back to the deck that you already knew was good. It's not that bad of a fall. Like, you know, in the example of wild cards specifically, like, sure, there's a loss of, of money, right? Like, magic's not free, right? Yeah. There's a loss of resources. You lost wild cards or whatever. But, you know, how you get those back is you play magic, which you were going to do anyway, <laughs> right? Like, in the sense of a grinding sense, it's like, okay, well... Well, now I don't have them, and I can't spend them. It's like, well, what were you going to spend them on? Are you just going to go back to playing Mono Red, or did you have another brew that you wanted to play? Mm -hmm. Right? Like, okay, you lost a resource, but what were you going to use the resource for other than just trying to gain information about other decks in the format? And so I, th I think that, like, recontextualizing and thinking about, like, the worst-case scenarios that you're looking at might not be in the framework of what it is that you're thinking about, you know? And then also opening yourself up to opportunity, making decisions more about, like, what you can potentially get or gain and, and, you know, whatever, what the positives are that you can get out of or as opposed to what it is that you're going to lose. And that's easy to say, hard to do. And I mean, I, I honestly, like, as I was saying, the luxury hobby thing, I get that I am very blessed in life. You know, we, we both are, if we're just being honest. And that's not something, and that can be something that is really hard for people. I don't want to make it sound like I'm downplaying the fact that 
you it's it's hard and it's expensive and like you still want to play this hobby that is luxury. And I know that it can come off as dismissive and honestly a little rude. But I do want you to kind of think about it in the context of it's a game. It's a game that can mean a lot to you. And I think that's great. Like I said earlier, it means a heck of a lot to me. And I think if you're listening to this podcast, it probably means a heck of a lot to you as well. And if you're trying to improve it, it probably means a lot to you. But it's okay to fail. It's okay to make mistakes. And it's okay to just do the wrong thing. Does that make, like, do, like make the wrong decisions in game. And it won't be the end of the world. It won't be the end of your life. And it won't be the end of magic. And this has been the group hug episode of Even Hot's podcast. Yeah, I think I think that wraps us up on the topic for sure. I think we said everything we can say. If you want to message Trey and be like, Trey, the worst thing that can happen is she shoots me with a gun when I ask her out. You can tweet at TreyMC on Twitter. If you, want to, if you don't, I'll just assume that you you, you were know, shot. Yeah, you <laughs> yeah, yeah you were shot. Or you know, you just couldn't decide what to say. There were so many options. Yeah, you walk up to you and you're like. Oh, God, Trey told me to approach her, but what do I do now? <laughs> and you say, hey, I've got a magic podcast. How you doing? <laughs> and then they say, oh, I love magic tricks. And then you lie and you build your relationship on lies because that's what The Bachelor taught me. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And then you get to start working on your coin slot of hand. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll ask Bernchini. Uh, if you want to tweet Ooh. at me, you can tweet at Mason E. Clark. You can check me out on Twitch as well at twitch.tv slash the Mason Clark. been streaming a lot. With Guild of Ravnica coming out. I'm going to stream more. I love it. Yeah, you did that fun uh, sub-event recently, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So G- the f- gave a sub and you play their deck. Yeah, if you, I'm still doing it because I know it's hard for people to have all the cards and they want to see their deck get played. If you sub, I will play your deck on stream for a while. Um, we had a lot of subs, so I had to kind of move through the decks quickly last time because I want to make sure that a sub doesn't have to come back later and watch a VOD unless they're really forced to. So, Weird yeah. flex, but okay. <laughs> I mean, hey, if you want to watch the video, check out the Constructed Criticism YouTube channel at ccmtg at youtube.com. Uh, also, you can find the rest of the network. Speak of them. Tell me about the network. I will. So <laughs> we're on a network with uh, a couple other podcasts. The flagship one being Constructed Criticism. Uh, the hosts are Spencer Howland, Seth Manfield, and John Stern. Uh, three great players that are really going to help you in Magic. And, I mean, if you are newer to competitive Magic, John Stern and Seth Manfield are amazing, and I think they do a really great job of breaking down their thought process. I think it was two, it might have been three episodes, it might be three episodes of the time which you're hearing this, but they had a really long discussion about plays that John made at a GP in the Burn versus Burn Mirror match, which you think wouldn't have a lot of depth to it, but they spent probably 10 minutes talking about two different plays, so about five apiece, and they went really deep on it, and I think they did a good job of explaining their lines on why the line they made was bad at the event. And they made a decision that didn't work out for them. And then think about what they could have done to have that go their way. And so I thought that was really cool. I think definitely check out Constructive Criticism. If there are other shows in the network too, so if you're a popper player, you want to check out Common Knowledge. is the best popper podcast on the interwebs, as the kids like to say. They talk all about it, and they really knock out of the park, so you got to give them a listen. And then we have The Hive Mind, which is a new show on the network. It's a talk show. See, The Hive Mind, you get it? Uh, they, have, they have different people from the magic community come on. The professor, Jeff Hoogland, they interview, or he interviews a different person each time. So I should just say that like that. I really and, like the idea of making the guest interviews. <laughs> yeah. Come on on. Yeah, ask uh, me anything you want to ask yeah, me. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I do host a magic podcast. So whatever you want to ask me, professor, I'm right here. <laughs> no, but uh, that's a fun show as well. Uh, I believe it's bi-weekly still. So that doesn't get updated as much. And then there is uh, Homework Path, which is kind of focused on MTG Dad. And I think... 
Um, if that's a show that really speaks to you, I'm sure this episode probably brought up a lot of things, right? We think about having to think about money management and decision with your kids and you only get to play magic once or twice a week. You might want to check out his show because he talks about some similar stuff along those lines and kind of, I don't want to say like journals it, but he gets a very real like, this is him telling you about his life and relating it to how it might help you in magic. Um, and so I think you should definitely check that out. And then that's going to do it for this week's episode. Thanks for rolling with us. All right, Trey. Doing the post show. Wow. Okay. But now, wow. Okay. We're talking ban lists because we're talking Sunday, January 17th, I think, or 18th, one of those days. So the ban 20th. list. 20th. So last week we were confused and we thought the ban list was coming out the week before this. I don't know why I thought that. That's on me. I told you that. I'm wrong. I'm sorry. Decision process got me. Uh, but, it's not just an excuse for being wrong <laughs> watch me do it though uh, no but what do you think is going to happen tomorrow keeping in mind the leak that we don't right. know if it's real or not yeah the leak which I, I don't know how if this I'm not I'm, I'm not trying to do a wow okay <laughs> but like I, know, I know because I'm getting agitated but I don't know how wizards can continually end up having these like things leak out and mess up just making an announcement just be like okay we're going to update magic online cool just do the announcement before. Just do it on Friday. <laughs> yeah. What? Who cares? You all of the rules are things that you just make up. <laughs> yeah. So like there's no one that's gonna be like, well, we did it different. It's like, no, that's fine. Just do it whenever you're gonna do it. But so for those of you that don't know, is that on Magic Online when they updated, Stoneforge Mystic was legal in modern, uh, and KCI was no longer legal in modern. If you set your clock ahead. If you set your clock ahead. Yeah, or something like something that. Like that. But so yeah. it's like Okay, so that makes us seem likely that that is what the BNR announcement is going to be when the date actually arrives. And the reason we think that is because it happened with Jace and happened with Splinter Twin and Pods. So yeah. There's a history of when this happens, it happens. A history of them making the same mistake over and over again with Magic Online? Who would have thought? <laughs> Say it ain't so! <laughs> no, but you know, enough ragging on Watsy. Love you. Uh, but it was a preview card. Uh, what do you think? Do you think that's true? And if not, what do you think is going to happen? I, I do think it's true. I mean, you know, the Wow OK last week, like, KCI is messed up deck, right? Like, I have not seen something dominating in a format like that. I mean, I know it's coming from one player, but it's just because he seemed to put more of the time in on working on the deck than other people did. I don't know. I think Eli, because he's also Eli did, yeah. yeah. I mean, he, he played Bird at the last event, but that doesn't mean it was the right thing, right? Like, how many times, like, Sam Purdy talked about how he played Spirits, but if his main goal was winning, he would have played KCI. Right. Yeah, it was weird to have a deck that was that good that people were just like, I mean, I know if I wanted to win, I would play this, but I yeah. just don't really want to do it because it's not fun. Yeah. Um, it, that And it also has the thing that has led to so many bannings in the past, like like banning of uh, Sensei's Divining Top and things like Like, it's a thing that makes tournaments go long, and it can create an unpleasant overall tournament experience. That, combined with the fact that it's winning a lot, like, it is a pretty big target yeah. for, for a banning. It's weird because, like, it kills probably... Like, as unfun as Amulet, but Amulet is deterministic, right? It's like, I play a Titan, I have two Amulets, I'm going to do this, and you're going to take 20 unless you stop me from doing that or have more than that much life, right? Well, at KCI, until you get the loop, you're going to see, like, 20 cards, right? A lot of the times, if you don't have the loop, and it's like, you are going to get there. If you were betting as the opponent, am I going to die or not in this game, you would bet, I'm going to die. But because there's a chance, you have to sit there, and that's, like, where the real problem comes. Yeah, you're, like, 18-minute turn so that you can get, like, the non-zero chance that it's going to fizzle. Yeah, and then it happens one time, and then they're like, well, I'm never scooping now. Right. Yeah, so I think that it's likely, uh, you know, and there was a lot of discussion and, and speculation leading up to this announcement as to whether or not it was going to be Opal 
whether or not it was going to be ancient stirrings, you know, that it was going to get the band. I think it makes sense for it to be like KCI specifically because then it's like you're you're laser focusing, right? Like that affects no other decks. Yeah, I, I think Matt Nass said it best. He, it was on Cedric's podcast, and he said, that, like, he was saying that we thought maybe there's a more aggressive version of KCI, right? That you can play like Sky, Asai, and Scrap Trawler and stuff like that. And if you ban Opal, like, let's say you ban Opal and Ancient Strength, and you're like, we're going to leave these KCI decks alone, but we're going to hurt their engines. It's like, well, they can still do a lot of the same stuff, just not as consistently. And there might even be, like, a better version, potentially. I'm not saying that it is better, but there could be. And if if you do this, it warps the format, and KCI becomes the definitive best deck. That's a PR nightmare. Yeah. Living living through the fairies' time in Standard, mm-hmm. when they didn't ban stuff, but they kept printing, like, specific eight cards that might as well have just said fairies loses yeah and then it didn't matter <laughs> and then they had to print another one and then another one and then getting to the point of having problems like it it's not a good look when those things happen yep well thank you for rolling with us